watch your thoughts, feel your emotions, observe the reaction. And the big thing with that is creating discipline in your life. And sometimes it's doing the things that you maybe don't want to do, but you get to do. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 30-something podcast. I can't believe it's been two weeks since the last episode came out. A week I took off for my birthday, so if you've hung around and you're back again following that, thank you so much. We're running a couple of days late. Normally episodes come out on a Monday, and this will come out Wednesday morning. The goal was always to get things out on a Monday, but as it takes quite a long time to edit the episodes and create the content, I think from now on we should just say there's going to be a new episode every week. Whereas if you've subscribed, it doesn't matter anyway, because you'll get an alert letting you know but I'm going to say roughly we're aiming for Monday to Wednesday of every week for the new episodes. So this week I got to sit down with a friend of mine, Fraser Johnston. Now, Fraser moved over to Canada basically straight from uni and he's been living there for around the last 9-10 years. Fraser, I think is fair to say, is the only person in my social circle, someone who's one of like my immediate friends who's gone out and started trying to create his own thing. Now I'll let Fraser tell you all about it, but what the idea is, is it's an online platform for snowboarding. And Fraser, not just because he's a friend, his story's always been interesting to me because he's one of those people who followed his passion, which was snowboarding straight out of university. But as you often hear from people who do that, if you're turning your passion into a job, it really starts to feel like a job. So he looked at branching out and that's how he ended up creating his own product, Watch and Ride. Now, we talk about Fraser's history, we talk about the creation of Watch and Ride, what led him there, but something that's a wee bit different and don't find it too off-putting, going over to Canada, they've obviously got a lot more of a, a liberal view on drugs and Fraser's always been about expanding his mind in such a way and experimenting with these things as we've gone through the years having our catch-ups you know he's told me about these experiences and just because I can't comprehend them myself I find them absolutely fascinating so we go into them for a little bit it's just quite interesting hearing as he put it himself what a traumatic but incredible experience that was for him we'll jump into the episode but first if you haven't subscribed please subscribe it just lets you know when an episode comes out and might actually stop me starting every episode with apology for the delay also if you haven't yet, please also leave a review. It looks like eight people have already, and that's unreal. I know who three people are. I would love to know who the other five are. From what I understand with the algorithms, it just helps the pod appear higher and is beneficial for getting out to more people and getting more listeners and hopefully more people who enjoy it. Thanks for that. Intro done, and let's jump in. Full circle here. Yeah, from, so, the, from the playground to the podcast. Yeah, did you ever think we'd actually be sitting here doing a podcast, <laughs> talking about life? No, absolutely not. Life, business, relationships, everything's definitely evolved since we were 15 years old. It's fun being older. Yeah. Anyway, right, so the way I kind of like to start these things off is get you to pretend I'm a stranger, mm-hmm. pretend I don't know anything, tell me a bit about your history, where it all started, where you've got to now, then we'll talk a wee bit about watch and ride, your experience. We talk about how you balance all the aspects of your life and then plans for the future. Love it. 
So this part's easy for me. You just go on a roll. Amazing. Um, so where to start? Grew up in Clarkston, Glasgow. Went to Carrollside Primary School. And from there, went to Hutchinson's Grammar School. So started there in secondary one. So for me, it was actually moving primary school to a new secondary school. Coming into to Hutchie, it was whole new friend group everything uh, so that's actually where we met yourself and i remember uh kishan came up to me that first assembly we had when everyone was getting introduced and uh, so kishan's a good friend of johnny and ours got introduced there for me school like being in a private school now that i look back on it amazing experience because i see a lot of people didn't have the same opportunity in education that we had so definitely very grateful for that experience there the one thing that I did notice about Hutchison's Grammar School was that if you weren't a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, they didn't really want to know about you or they kind of laugh, laughed off any other career aspirations apart from that. What were your career aspirations at the time? So to be honest, I remember being 16, talking to the career advisor there and I said, you know, I want to be a, a snowboard instructor. And um, that's when I got laughed out of the Hutchie career office. And she was like, don't be ridiculous. Your parents aren't wasting this money for, for your education here. Uh, I could go all day. This is about the guests. I could go all day, all <laughs> in on my view of the school system. Sorry, fine. So that's what I thought. But we'll get to the yeah. snowboarding side of your life. So Hutchie happened and... Mm. So from Hutchie went to Edinburgh University, so it was the whole thing, you know, not necessarily pressure for parents, but there's the whole thing in West of Scotland, you go to high school, you go to university, you get your degree, you get your job. So for me, it was just a very natural thing. All my friends were doing it. So I had looked to Aberdeen University and Edinburgh University, got into both of them. So I originally had decided on Aberdeen, but it was a last minute change to Edinburgh. So I did a human geography and economics at uni had an amazing time at university partied a shit ton met a lot of cool people but it was really there that that started my thing of i have no idea what i want to do with my life with this degree and that's where the thing in the back of my head was you know let's get out of glasgow let's try the snowboarding thing or just see what the world it doesn't necessarily have to be snowboarding it could be traveling anywhere but i, I didn't i wasn't ready to commit to a career yet if you knew quite early and why didn't you just leave uni and go off and do it the thing for me and talking to my parents it was having a fallback plan uh, my dad had always said to me what happens if you go out there and you break your leg uh, what are you going to do so for me it was always that thing I, I did want a bit of security and don't get me wrong I, I love learning I love education so university was great I was learning the whole time I was partying I was meeting people and it did offer me a very nice lifestyle for for three years so I got my bachelor's degree. So I was at university for three years, got my bachelor's degree and left before my honours. So that decision you're talking about there, that's when I made it was at the end of third year. I was like, you know, I know what I want to go and do now. I'm not going to waste another year of my life at university when I know I want to, I want to do this. That's where I made that decision to leave. I graduated, got my degree and I was like, okay, now it's time for me to pursue my passion. Because I feel I was living very much for my parents are just west of scotland society in general and it was time for me to carve my own path and my own trail and follow those passions and that led you to canada it did indeed looking at snowboard instructor courses it was between like big white banff or somewhere in the states and it was literally just a, a roll of the dice to pick big white which is in Kelowna, bc or just outside Kelowna. so it's about four hours interior from vancouver 
And that was really the kind of stepping stone for me had, you know, gone out there by myself and yeah, it was time to learn and just get immersed in that snowboarding world. So you went over to Canada and you did the snowboarding course. You can talk a wee bit more about that because one of the things people think is if I go off and do my passion, do you know, this is so much easier when I know your life a wee bit. <laughs> um, people have their passion and there's all like the famous sayings like, if you love what you do, you never do, you never work a day, day in your life. life. But unfortunately, if the job you're doing is the thing you love, that love can kind of fade a little. Absolutely. And like, that's what happened, right? Yes. And that's kind of where Watch and Ride came in. So after I did that snowboard instructor's course, I went home for the following summer and they said it was like a 12-week job interview. So came back the following winter once they'd said, you know, you, you did a great job. Everyone loved you. We want to offer you a place at the ski school. So I was doing about, yeah, 130 odd days a year on snow teaching in a uniform. You know, you're teaching beginners, you're teaching experts, intermediates, and your body's shot by the end of that. And it does, that passion turns into just feeling like a job. The ski school's making all the money and you're getting paid tuppence as the person that's actually out there in the cold, in the snow, teaching eight hours a day. So even though you loved it, there was just like a level of bitterness building so it's actually really strange in the ski industry. The more qualified you are, the actually less they want to use you. So that was the thing for me that I really noticed where when I started to get my level three and my evaluator certs, your hourly wage goes up. And then the ski school started to say, well, actually, we don't want to use you for these two hour beginner lessons or these, you know, three hour, six hour privates because it costs us more to use you than it does to use a level one or a level two. Right. So that left me sitting there being like, hold, hold the phone here. This is just an you can, insane. You can swear, don't worry. <laughs> this uh, is, that was a holy shit coming, don't worry. This isn't like, this um, is for 30 year olds. This isn't PG-13 or whatever. Yeah, so it's an insane system they have because, you know, if you're a plumber, a joiner, anything like that, the more qualified you get, the more you make, the more opportunity you have. Whereas there, it was almost felt like I was getting penalized. So that was the thing for me where I started to think like, how do I cut out the middleman here, which was the ski school? To put it another way, that's what inspired you to create your own thing, watch and write. Absolutely. So the, the big one was an injury, if I'm being honest. So at the time I had a marketing internship. So I would uh, drive up to the mountain. I'd be up there for, you know, I'd leave the house at about 10 to 7. I'd be up there for 8 o'clock. I'd be on snow for 8.30. I'd be teaching from 8.30 to 3.30, drive down the hill and I was doing my marketing internship, marketing internship from about 4.30 to 8, 9 o'clock at night. But why? I started to realize in the ski industry, people are there, they call them lifers. So they're in their late 40s, their 50s. They've been an instructor their whole life and they don't have a pot to piss in. It's this seasonal work. They would you know, be a ski instructor in the wintertime, making a good wage as a level three or a four. But then in the summertime, they'd maybe be, you know, minimum wage job, either serving or working in a shop. And for me, I started to think, you know, I want some security when I'm later in life. I want to have a house. I want to be financially secure. And for me, it was just, I love this, but if I keep going this path, I'm never going to reach that. So why not quit and go into a more standardized industry, you know, a basic job? What made you want to go and do your own thing? I love being outdoors. I love teaching people. Like, you know, teaching snowboarding is a huge pass of mine. I love seeing people's, people reach their potential. Like, and when you can have a hand in that, it's an amazing feeling. So 
seeing someone come up, they might be nervous or scared. And when you can actually see them progress and their eyes open and they light up when they get a new feeling on their snowboard or they get that first feeling of rebound or they learn a new trick. And um, that for me was just a huge motivator and I wanted to keep that aspect of my life. So it was just figuring out a way, how, how do I make this a regular part of my lifestyle, but also up the cash that I'm getting from it. It's fair, and you can jump straight into telling about what realization led you to creating Watch and Ride. Was there a few iterations of what you thought you might do before you came up with that? Yes and no. So I guess in terms of the content side, very much so. But I remember sitting there because it was after I, you know, I was at my hundred thirty second day on snow. I dislocated my shoulder again doing a trick I'd done a hundred times and it was just because I was exhausted and tired. Just a bit of background, Fraser has had trouble with his shoulders throughout the years, yeah. which is, how many times would you say they've dislocated? Oh, like 44 I think we're at. 44. 44. That's a combination of the left and, and right. right. I was sitting in a sling again back in my, my flat and I was doing a lot of like video backgrounds with a marketing firm I was working for and I just had that light bulb moment that was like, hey, if I can record the system that I teach people with, make it easily consumable, a cheaper alternative to ski school, and just accessible, I'm beyond to a winner. So that's really where the, the idea of watching right started. And I remember when I had that light bulb moment, I almost had the flash forward of like 10 years, saw the school at its full potential. And for me, that's the, the vision that's still keeping me driving forward right now with the online snowboard school. It's still that, I remember the light bulb moment it happened. And even though there has been hard times or anything, that's the thing that's kept me going because I remember if I can make this accessible and cheaper for people, I can really start to grow the sport of snowboarding. What is your creation? Yeah, <laughs> so the online snowboard school. So. We have two packages we sell. So the first one that launched was the Master of the Mountain series. So when you're talking about the evolution of the school. So my sweet spot with teaching was intermediate experts. And when we launched the first package, it was basically the five how-tos of snowboarding. So how to stand, which is the foundations of snowboarding. So how you're actually standing on the board. How to steer, so it's actually using the lower joints to direct the board. How to grip, which is basically how to use your edges on the board, so how to control speed from that. How to move, so how to manage the forces underneath your feet. And then how to blend, which is basically combining all the other skills together so you're riding like a pro. So when I first launched that package, a lot of the feedback was like, you know, I'm still stuck on one edge or I've never actually snowboarded for. So that was actually aimed at people who are already turning to expert skill level. And um, so for me, it was looking at that and just listening to the feedback saying, okay, let, let's create a beginner product now. So that's where the beginner series came in. So it's called the snowboard learning pyramid is my little system for it. So it basically takes you all the way from the fundamentals all the way to turning. And then from that, we now have the ability to upsell or move people into the Master of the Mountain package from that. And this is a platform, people log in online, they can watch all the videos and... Absolutely. So I guess you would call it um, an e-learning platform. So all the videos are there. There's over like 80 videos. Each video has what we call like a keys to success. So it's um, what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we're doing it. It's basically like a little infographic and you have your snowboard IQ or your bonus knowledge. So um, your IQ out in the world 
I call it snowboard IQ. So it's basically how you're reading the mountain and understanding the consequences of the decisions you're making um, and basically just that ability to analyze what you're doing and where you're doing it out on the hill. Well, so one of the big struggles that I'm sure people think when they hear about any sort of e-learning platform that is to an actual physical activity, Mm. that's where maybe there's a struggle for uptake in people's eyes. How do you convince them otherwise? How do you explain that? Two things to that question. So I guess the way we capture people with it is we have our SB quick tip series on Instagram. So short snappy tips under 60 seconds, ton of value and people go, oh, like I've never heard this before. Let me sign up for the free trial. That's a little link in the bio. And the big thing with learning online is what I've tried to introduce to the school is basically analyze your ride. So it's where people upload videos of themselves riding I give them video feedback and say, you know, this is going on, you're broken at the waist here, you're a little on the back foot. If you do this lesson from the school, that'll kick out your bad habit. You know, go and practice this. So it's actually correlating the in-person instruction or the video feedback to the lessons in the school. So that's where I try and make that crossover so it's actually like as effective as an in-person lesson. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that will be the most interesting for people listening all the shit you've gone through. <laughs> Watch and Ride's been in the making for, what, seven years? No, oh my goodness, no, it's not that long. It's about four and a half now. Four and a half. Yeah. yeah. So we're at four and a half years. We're obviously hoping it's going to get to the point where people start describing it as an overnight success, <laughs> even though you and yeah. I both know the graft that's gone into it. Just get into it. Because like, I know for people who are listening, it will be our friends, <laughs> and hopefully down the line, like people who want to get real value, Mm. and takeaways maybe want to start their own thing or they're figuring things out and i think if they hear people's struggles of what they've been through if they go through it themselves maybe just maybe it'll provide some inspiration and you've not given up so if you could maybe just give us like the top two three challenges that you've come across in the last four and a half years how they made you feel and what you did to get past them business is a savage game for sure. Unforgiving. The market doesn't owe you anything as well. So that was a big lesson was, I guess, the the first thing I learned was almost build it and they will come. Like, that was definitely the mentality I had was, I, I saw there was a, you know, an issue with ski schools being overly expensive. Like you're paying over 990 bucks US for a six hour private in Aspen, which is just insane. Overly expensive, they're super time consuming and they're highly dependent on the instructor you get. Like some of the instructors you end up with in a lesson are are super shitty and they're not athletic. They don't understand the sport and you can have a really bad lesson experience. So I thought, you know, if I launch this product, you know, people will flock to it. You know, like you say, overnight success, but that didn't happen and I realized that there is a product side to the business but then there's the whole sales and marketing side which is a completely different beast. So it was a big thing. I remember the the first time I launched the product we got about you know over that first season it was about 500 students and about like just over or just under 100 of them were paying and that was definitely like a, a kick in the teeth for me. It was like a you know real sour moment because you know I'd expected you know tons of cash coming in from it and you know being self-sustainable not having to raise any money and yeah it was definitely a big letdown and it was a big ego chap to 
and I almost felt like a failure with it. And, you know, I had, you know, Shelby, who's my, my wife, and she was like, look, man, like, you've created this product, you've got people using it, people are loving it. And for me, it was just never enough. So it was starting on that whole journey of expectation of how you're actually seeing your business and how you want it to grow. So yeah, that was probably big number one was just the letdown of that first product launch and then having to learn the sales and marketing side of the business. Number two, I guess, would be, yeah, there's definitely been some some partners or some relationships that I'd had and they saw it as, ended up seeing it as direct competition. So wanted nothing to do with it. So, you know, it was a big win to get some of the partnerships I had. But then they fell down pretty quick that once they saw Watch and Ride start to take off, they saw it stepping on the toes of their business. When you say you're stepping on their toes. So part, like, because I worked in a resort as a ski instructor, for me, it was a no brainer. So I saw there was a big difference between the sign up between ski lessons and snowboard lessons. So usually when I was teaching, I was basically instructing instructors how to instruct. Mm -hmm. When like Christmas time, President's Week, the busy periods, I went from training instructors to public lessons. And I was standing there, all the ski instructors were booked out, lessons were mobbed, and then there was like 10 snowboard instructors still standing there without work. Yeah, right. So that's really when I, you know, I saw those problems I talked about earlier about expensive and everything. So I was really thinking, hey, if I come to the resort and say, you know, let's start this improve online and in-person deal, you know, we'll give people a discount for their online membership. And if they have an online membership, we'll give them a discount to an in-person lesson. So it's designed to give people a taste of what instruction and improvement feels like. And then we can funnel them back to the ski school with like, you know, take a lesson here, take a lesson with XYZ instructor at the resort. And that was basically just shut down right away. They just saw any sort of digital product was just because ski lessons are is a resort's big money maker in this yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, some people are scared of competition, can't move with the digital age. Like the ski industry has been the same way for, oh my goodness, like 60 plus years now. And the digital aspect of life and online is just starting to make its way in there because they've been so guarded to who they've let in to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not letting this in either. It's just elbowing its way in, right? Absolutely. And that's what you have to do. I definitely had those, like when those partnerships fell down. Yeah, definitely like upsetting time. But I almost had that like, well, fuck you mentality, that chip in my shoulder. And I, d I definitely think I've had that from my surgeries. Like even with my shoulders, my the doctors were like, man, you're going to be crippled by the time you're 25. You're going to have arthritis by the time you're 30. And you're never going to be able to play rugby again, snowboard again. And that was the thing for me. I was like, I'll prove you wrong. And yeah, as it can be a downfall, but I think it's definitely spurred me along and helped me push through some of those harder times for sure. So that's two. Mm. Business is brutal. Yes. Build it. They might not come. Number two, choose your partners wisely. Mm -hmm. Number three. It's about the journey. As cliche as that sounds, it's about the process. I've set for myself so many hard expectations and given myself like a hard stop line. And when the business in its earlier days didn't quite make those, I just destroyed myself inside. Like, And I created such turmoil inside myself, telling myself I was a failure. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. And the thing I've come to realize as I've got older is it literally is about the journey and the process. It, every day is its own day. 
and just to soften some of those expectations on yourself. Yeah. Well, how, just, how do you get past those negative moments? A lot of meditation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meditating, exercising. For me, it's about gaining perspective. So I can feel myself when I start to to tunnel into those kind of negative mindsets. And it's only been as I've got older, I've started to realize those things of watch your thoughts, feel your emotions and uh, observe the reaction. And that's really the, the thing I try and carry through my life is, okay, I'm thinking this way. I start to feel this way and oh, I'm getting that internal turmoil. I'm getting that anger. So it's really being able to watch that and disconnect and have those little moments of, okay, and it's just feeling it. Like I remember one time, Rose, um, there was two winters ago. I was downtown working in a coffee shop, had spent a thousand dollars on ads and literally gotten one sign up from it. So it was like, you know, 120 bucks. So I just pissed that money up the wall. And I walked home, it was about 45 minutes away. I'd walked home. I was so angry by the time I got in, I like threw my watch and ride sweater in the bin and I was like, fuck this, like I'm done. Like Shelby, it was actually said to me, she was like, man, you need to like check yourself and you know, ended up crying with her, having a big emotional release. And it was just that like resetting those expectations and gaining that perspective check from talking with your best friend and just saying like, okay, maybe things aren't as, as bad as they seem. Bus most businesses take, I would say, four to five six years before they actually build that momentum and they're up and running and you know that was me like two years in or something so it was still super early days i was still self-funded had no team and then it was actually learning the aspects that make a business successful some funding some cash flow other team members because i was trying to do everything you know the sales the marketing the content creation and it was just too much and i always think about like if you have five dots on the table and you can only move the dot one square a day you're trying to do all these things so all five of them only move a tiny little bit whereas if i was focusing on the content creation i could just push it so far but i was just spreading myself too too thin so a quick overview of where you're up to now mm -hmm. with watch and ride and you want to dive a wee bit into the investments you've gone for the partnerships you've sure. had the strategy of where things are at now and where you're going to take it. Cool. So the school's up to like 1,500 students now. So definitely grown a lot. So for me now, it's looking at creating partnerships within the industry. So with retailers, brands and manufacturers. So to help try and leverage some of their networks to help grow Watch and Ride. The big thing I'm looking at is getting a membership paired with boards, boots and binding sold in retail stores. So that's a no-brainer for me because if someone buys a board, a lot of the time, they're just basically wasting all the money they've spent. You'll see someone spending $800, $900 on a snowboard, but if they don't actually know how to get like rebound or bend a board, all that money's wasted. So to actually teach people how to use their equipment and also be armed with the safety knowledge to you like be a safe out in the mountain is a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. Injuries and collisions are a massive problem. So many people get hurt a year by being taken out by skiers or snowboarders. Any new rider or any intermediate or expert who's buying a board is getting that knowledge. The sport's just going to grow because it's going to be safer. More people are going to get into it. For me, I guess I've spent about now ooh, 60 G's of my own money over the four years through filming the product, incorporating the company, corporate tax filings, things like that. 
that was the big thing for me was I actually went through, it was called the Okanagan Angel Summit. So it was an investment competition that ran in April 2019. So I got through to the quarterfinals of that and the big thing was okay, where's your team and uh, where's your reoccurring revenue? Like, you know, you're one person who's doing all this. What happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? Can you not just say to them, that's what I need the money for? (laughs) (laughs) To hire a team. Absolutely. So that's where I really started to look at it because when I started watching, right, you know, I have those typical West of Scotland parents, like never be in debt to anyone, like never take anyone's help. And just with that kind of chip on my shoulder, I wanted to do it all myself. Yeah. So really, as I was maturing um, and getting older, I started to realize, okay, I need to to plug in other pieces to this business. So I've gone out and got myself a marketing manager for equity who's going to be running the digital growth side of things. Nice. And then basically in talks with three investors right now to raise money. So that's going to basically help us fund our digital strategy and add budget. So you've learned a lot of lessons. What's like the main one? Business is fun. Like it's the best sport in the world. Like it literally is like there's so much you can learn the personal growth you get from it like someone once said to me the business only grows as far as you do personally and that's never been a true thing i've always seeked out new knowledge new things and it literally has been a roller coaster for the past four years but i wouldn't trade it in for for anything like it has been an emotional roller coaster but going through these things it's taught me you know you take your knocks and you learn how to grow. I almost think of it as capacity building. You know, so I remember when I was working at Sun Peak, I was getting up at five in the morning or quarter to five in the morning, driving through three hours to get to the resort. I was on snow for 8.30, was working Monday to Friday away from Shelby and the dog. Uh, would come back on a Friday evening, would spend Saturday, Sunday with them and go back out there in the next week. So I did that for the whole season. And by the end of it, I was like absolutely fucked. But you know you hit these walls you get stressed you get tired and it's like i can't go anymore but then you have your little break period you get the chance to reflect Mm. and reassess and then your capacity builds and you go maybe it wasn't that bad it was okay i could do that again and the box just starts to gradually grow and grow and grow and grow i think that's been the biggest thing is just feeling that change in myself of being able to take on more things or do more things and yeah it's been a good learning journey that way. And just the big thing I always think about is always that personal growth. What can I learn from this experience? No experience is wasted. Nothing's a failure. Everything's a learning opportunity. Nice. This is where I would jump into kind of your personal life. But before I even get there, as someone who's known you for all these years... I remember a guy with a lot of rage. (laughs) And what I've got to see over the years is the change in the mindset, the mindfulness, the meditating. Mm. And honestly, what I want to dive into is the stories of your trips. Okay, absolutely. So I was so angry at my body. I, I felt like with the dislocations and the surgery, you know, I want to play rugby at a high level. I wanted to do things, so I was just so angry at myself. I, you know, I just felt let down by my body. So I think that's where a lot of my rage as a teenager came from, for sure. So I remember actually it was a, 
Amsterdam. It was me, Johnny, Ewan and Ramin. We were there on our Eurorail and we got these box of truffles. And that was the first time I'd ever like tripped out or had a psychedelic experience. Oh, the gateway drug. <laughs> we were sitting in a park in Amsterdam and I remember when they, they kicked in and I just got that like 10,000 foot overview of of my thinking and my thought patterns and I was like oh my god like and it was just a, a light bulb a moment for me so uh, what happened on that trip you were just self-analyzing or yeah self-analyzing had a great time with like three really close buddies so it was me kind of getting my toes wet with it I didn't really understand it didn't know what I was getting myself into but that's the one that that sparked the curiosity for me and really kind of turned me on to the research so I'm talking about like Terence McKenna Tim Leary Alexander Schlugin are these guys who did the drugs and so we're talking like 50s 60s 70s these guys were like you know the psychonauts psychedelic psychedelic pioneers of their time so I started listening to all this stuff and some of what they were saying, I was like, oh, that resonates with the experience I had. So for me, I didn't really know where to get it or whatever coming home from Amsterdam. So it was actually, I that was the experience I had and it wasn't for another two years or so. And it was about till I was 21 when I was out in Canada where I actually like found mushrooms again. I had actually a bad concussion kind of got into a bit of a depressive spiral kind of just wasn't myself for about three or four months and I actually had a mushroom trip and I just had this light bulb moment where I was like oh my god I've been thinking the same six things every day for the last four months just in this repetitive cycle and I it was just one of these things that like oh my god my thinking has made me depressed I've thought myself into this what were the six things oh man it, oh, um it was basically all around my health that I was never going to be better again. I was telling myself that I was going to be like this for the rest of my life and that there was something permanently wrong with me. And I just put myself into this little shell. And it was that trip. I was out walking by myself. I took three and a half grams and I was out in nature for the day um, hiking. And it was just this revelation experience that of I need to start creating some new thought patterns and some new new ways to look at the world here and from that it was just this thing that the next day I had this like afterglow and I was completely cured of my depression never thought about those things again and that was really the thing that carried me forward and kind of put me on this path of okay like I'm here for a reason I have a purpose and it's time to go and take action and start to execute on on these things and even I remember um being in a float tank, uh, so sensory deprivation tank, for those that don't know. So you're basically in about six inches of water. It's full of a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. There's no light, no sound. And I was in there and I'd taken some shrooms before I went in. And I, ha I was literally just talking to my body and my body was like, hey man, like, I know you're really angry at me, um, but like, you know, think of all the cool things we've done together. We snowboard, we, you know, we've skydived, we climb, like I'm trying my best here, like just like work with me. And it was this really like weird esoteric spiritual experience I had like communicating with myself in there. And I was like, okay, body, like I'm going to do my best on my end and you do your best on your end. I'll uh, focus on the mind, you do your stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And ever since then, like my health's been amazing and 
yeah, so it's that kind of journey of floating and I almost think of floating as just like you're almost like peeling back layers of the onion. Like the more you get in there and the more you shut your mind off and you get into that kind of free form thinking where because the first 10 minutes you're in the tank, your brain's like, think about this, think about this, think about this, think about this. But then after that kind of 10 minutes when you're focusing on your breathing, that's where you get that separation start to happen and you can start to think about things in new ways that you possibly haven't thought of. It says left-right brain synchronicity, your hemispheres sync up and you have some, yeah, amazing thinking process in there. So for me, business, it's been exceptional. Like some of the best ideas I've had are in that float tank. Shrooms is one thing, like I've never done like acid or anything like that. It's always been like natural for me of like weed and shrooms. Looking at the DMT aspect, it was always one of these things like these kind of psychedelic explorers I talked about. They were like, you know, this is the you know, the mountaintop of psychedelics, the kind of pinnacle. I was always just so curious about it. Mm. It's one of these things I always think it finds you. Like the the time will come and you'll meet the right person when they'll be like, hey man, like I've got this, do you want to try it? And that's what happened for me the first time. So smoking it the first time, it only lasts 15 minutes. It's literally, they call it the businessman's trip. It's like a, a rocket ship. It feels like you're gone for 10,000 years, but in that space, like the only way to describe it is spirit realm, soul realm. You're completely switched out from physical reality and you're there communicating with something. Still to this day, I'm not sure if it's God, your higher self, the universe, but you're having a dialogue with something in a space that isn't physical. The interesting thing about it is that everyone seems to have the exact same experience. Mm. Yeah, and love and understanding, like geometric shapes of love and understanding is how I would describe it. You definitely are having a, a real life experience, like it's realer than real, it's realer than this right here. Yeah, a lot of people have very similar similar experiences with it, but it was almost like a, a life review. It was like, hey, Fraser, see when you you do this or do that, see how it affects people like this or that, and you have visions on it. And after when you're sober, it was this thing, it was almost just like, a, okay, I know what I need to, to go and do now. It was like a reset button. Any sort of depression and anxiety gone, and it was just a real nice re yeah reset button is what i would call it going into any more sort of detail about what impact that had because a reset sounds great mm. just could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people so the way i would describe it almost like i did before it's like an afterglow so like for, for how long weeks months right. like i just felt so calm and at peace with the world and at peace with what i was doing and it's just that thing okay this you know, just accepting like, this is the path I'm on, let me let me walk it. Because before I was always like in a rush to get somewhere or make more money or make watch and ride bigger. But after that experience, I was just like, <sighs> like, okay. Breathe. Like, yeah, th this is the path I'm on, whatever happens, happens. And it was just, yeah, it was just that thing of everything is gonna be okay. What long-term impact do you think that's had on things? Like, how long ago did you do it? I've done it twice. That was what, oh my goodness, about four years ago was the first time. And so, then... So, just looking back on the, the one four years ago, what long-term impact would you say that's had? I understand completely that you're saying it's made you more accepting of mm. what way the business may go. Mm -hmm. But what else in a general sense? I never feel... Like, never really feel 
depression, anxiety, or boredom. I, I just have a, from that, I have a natural fascination with the world and where my journey's going. And number two, which was the recent one, which was the shamanistic experience. Yeah. So what made you decide to do it again after four and a half years? To be honest, it was completely out of the blue. So the first experience, I was like, that was an insane experience, like overwhelming, but beautiful and amazing. And Shelby asked me that. She was like, would you do it again? And I was like, <sighs> like, I wouldn't be in a rush to do it again. And just um, the guy that introduced me to it actually ended up moving away. So I just didn't have access to it. And to be honest, for me, I'm even now I'm still kind of processing elements from that. So I wasn't really in any sort of rush to go out and find it again. Mm-hmm. And it was actually super random. One of my buddies called me up and he was like, hey, there's this guy I'm working with. Um, like, I know you're into this sort of stuff, but there's a shaman that's come over from Peru and someone's dropped out of the ceremony in Squamish. They have a spare spot. Do, do you want to join? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's do it. And I, I told Shelby about this and she was like, what the fuck? Like, you're going to go into the woods and trip out with some old guy you've never met before. And I was like, yeah, sounds a great time. <laughs> or the start of a horror movie. Exactly. Yeah. I drove through to Squamish with these three other people that were participating in it. You didn't know them? Didn't know them at all. We met the guy, so uh, Dr. Andrew McLean Pagan, so fully licensed medical doctor. He actually was born in Scotland, went to China, um, went to Peru, so fully licensed doctor, everything, and he kind of went into his alternative medicine, got in with some of the tribes in the Amazon, learned the kind of ancient shamanism and all the rituals and how to use these plant medicines. Um, So full, legit, Shaman. How old's this guy? Oh, he's in his, I would say, late 60s, early 70s now. <laughs> Live some life, all right. <laughs> so, absolutely. So, when I rocked up there, um, he was wearing his chakra hat, so all the different colors, full white beard, and uh, with his shawl, and I was like, what the fuck have I got myself into here? So, he did this interview with us the night before. He wanted to make sure everyone was, like, semi-sane or was doing it for the right reasons like you know what kind of um psychedelic experiences have you had before this and so everyone kind of got the aok approval so the next morning we all met and we drove together to the site in squamish so we asked the native elders for permission to the land there they granted permission for the land so we rock up and he's got me in this all white garment because you can't wear like black or red apparently it's like not good for the entities or the spirit realm. Right. So I'm in this white get up. He goes, he gives us, so it was basically a Wilka ceremony. We did Huachuma, which is basically San Pedro, so masculine. Um, so we did that first of all. He gave me a couple spoonfuls of this stuff and I was sitting in a sleeping bag and he was like, set your intention for the trip. They call Huachuma like a heart opener. So very like emotional. You're thinking about things from childhood. He comes up and he taps me and he goes, okay, the Wilk is ready for you now. So when I originally went there, I thought I was going to do ayahuasca. So, uh, you know, you drink it out of a cup. But Wilka, they say, is a seed one civilization psychedelic. So it's the oldest one known to man. And they say it's 30 times stronger than ayahuasca. So it's DMT, 5-MeO-DMT and bufotine, or bufotinine that they scrape off the frog. So even still, I thought I was maybe going to drink it. But he basically hands me this blindfold, puts me on my knees. And he brings out this big pipe with two prongs on it and he packs the pipe with this paste basically puts me on my knees puts the blindfold down 
and just like puts the two things up your nose and like three big like blows the only way to describe it is literally like a a nuclear explosion in your brain as soon as it like goes in boom your brain feels like it's on fire i was like projectile vomiting and literally just rolled on my back how you see people die in the movies when they're kind of like <laughs> and that's literally i was like <laughs> and then it was just like reality switch out ancestors dead grandparents past lives different bodies on different planets like the most insane experience i've ever had in my entire life still to this day i still think about parts of that where i'm like oh and it's like these little like oh i remember that i remember this and it's these little grains of understanding or awareness you get from it overwhelming traumatic experience but again wonderful beautiful and very beneficial too do you think everyone should go on those sort of experiences do you think it would be good for individuals for humanity yes smoking dmt is a much easier experience than a shamanic dmt experience so maybe start there first if you don't like puking and stuff always do your research like everyone for me i think everyone needs to do that before they hit the grave like the amount of understanding you gain about yourself and the universe religion and spirituality is huge from from that experience I would always say though, do your research and absolutely know what you're getting into. Even from my research, I know if you're on antidepressants, things like that, sometimes it has a bad synergistic effect with it. So definitely look into it before you go down that rabbit hole. The one thing for me with DMT is it's like, it's burned a feeling of, you know that feeling when you're deep on meditation, when you're calm, you feel that connectedness, everything's one so that feeling has been burned into me from dmt so even if i find myself get off kilter a little bit i can very quickly come back to that centered spot from that experience all the time it's it sounds too good to be true yeah i don't get me wrong i definitely still go down some of those paths but i don't hang on to it all day now like i can be like okay i've had a bad 15 minutes hour to hour like and it's water off a duck's back let let the river flow yeah for sure that's absolutely one thing i'd say so not perfect but it's allowed me a little more ability to reflect or have a little more self-awareness how do you know that's not just your meditation and yoga paying off long term though how do you know it's those experiences dmt is like meditation on steroids plus aliens like is (laughs) It's literally a shortcut. So for me, like, you know, everyone's like, you know, if you look at monks or anything, amazing way to dedicate your life. But, you know, for me, meditating 10 hours a day at the ashram, I I would rather just take 15 minutes and do DMT and get to the same spot. It's a hack. It's a hack for sure. And that's the one thing is, you know, if you're doing DMT once a year or once every two years, that's a lot. It's a lot. And the big thing I'd say to people is... um, it's the integration is the biggest part of it. Like your world gets spun upside down with that. And it does take over weeks or months, you integrate parts of the experience and it just kind of settles into you. So even the shaman said to me was, for four days after this, don't talk to anyone about the experience. Just let it like sit in you. Yeah, settle. Settle. And even afterwards, I've had weird things where 
I've had not necessarily flashbacks, I'd call it, but there's been things where I've been like remembered certain aspects of the trip and it's just been a new integrative thing where I've like, oh, I've, I've learned that lesson. And so integration is okay. a huge piece where you see people, um, they try and find the answer in chemicals. They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, and they're searching for the answer in the trip, which doesn't happen. You have to be in this reality, sober, physical. So wait, so when you're saying people taking chemicals, do you mean your standard drugs that people are taking? Or no, so usually like, I'd say like, yeah, acid, shrooms, DMT, like it's like a, a weekly thing or whatever that they're like, they think they're getting some answer on these drugs and it's not. It's like... You mean they get it when they're on the drugs, but then when they're not on the trip anymore, it's as if it never happens. Yeah, and they can't right. integrate. Yeah. Also, the experiences terrified me, man. Like, it's a very humbling, humbling thing. Like, so even a mushroom trip, like, I mean, I've done mushrooms maybe, oh, like, I'd say maybe 13, 14 times now. And every time I have one of those experiences, I do not take it lightly. I go in there, I'm like, I meditate, I know what I'm getting myself into, and it's not an easy thing for me, but I know it's work that has to be done. Um, so I respect them absolutely. These plant medicine, they're, they're teachers. They're, they are teachers. They teach you a lesson about yourself, about the universe, about spirit, and if you aren't respecting that, you're going to get your ass kicked. I find it very interesting. But we'll move on because for anyone who hates the idea of these sort of things or drugs, this has been a horrible episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But hopefully anyone who is curious about that sort of stuff has learned something. Mm. So now we'll get into the other meaty aspects. Mm. The focus on being in your 30s. Mm-hmm. This happened, what, the last couple of months? August 5th. August 5th. I'm sure I sent your birthday message. You did. Yeah, yeah. good. Still have it in me. Thank you, Facebook. <laughs> but you have a bit more of a you know, you've got a very different experience to a lot of our friends. Uh, some background on Fraser. Moved to Canada nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Told us after three or four years of living there that he just proposed to his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Shelby, if you're listening, hi. Yeah, love of my um, life. Yeah. But it turns out they'd actually already been married for two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens. You've got that international relationship. You got to do it, even Threatened though for being kicked out of the country. Yeah, yeah, and even though for two years you told us you were sponsored through your job. <laughs> yeah. So you married Shelby. How long have you guys been married for now? Oh my goodness, man! It's going to be like six, six years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you might be my longest married friend then. Yeah, holy. You and Shelby. She's obviously been with you through the whole. Mm. Setting up the job, the whole dark times. Mm. You guys just bought a dog together, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Beans. The question I ask everyone at this sort of stage is, how do you find balancing it all? I'm not sure what number I'm going to make this podcast yet. Mm-hmm. So there's been people who kind of have sacrificed life to focus on their business. Mm-hmm. There's the people who actually started when they were 14 mm-hmm. and have moved on to a second business, but they have a really good balance Mm -hmm. and i'm sure at some point i am still looking for the person who maybe sacrificed their business to create a family and stepped out you are in that perfect middle stage Mm. where you've been working in a business you're happily married how do you find balancing it all you know what actually is that anything you reflect on instead of just focusing on the jobs in your mindset you're like man my life Mm. great question coming into my 30th birthday that was 
you know, it was a couple of weeks coming into it, I was really thinking like, what does success look like for me? How do I want to live my next 10 years, you know, into my 40s? And the big thing for me is just like finding out what success means for me. You know, some people it is, it's a ton of money, it's the flashy car, um, it's the kids, but it's really settling down and talking with Shelby of what do we want out of life and what do we want together. What conclusions have you drawn? I mean, for us, kids are just not a priority for us at all. You know, for us, we want a little bit of financial security, first of all, you know, obviously own our house. And then from there, for me, my big thing, my passion is just business. So right now, looking at setting up a CBD company that we're in the process of, adding in other income streams to help basically us be financially free. Mm -hmm. So Shelby's working from her laptop as well. So for us, it's about being able to live different places in the year for, you know, two, three, four month stints. Uh, you know, so in the wintertime, being able to live at the resort, summertime, so Shelby's from Bermuda, so being able to spend some time there in the summers, you know, we've been down to South America, things like that. So we love the aspect of being able to travel. So what's the goal then? Financial freedom? Absolutely. Playing devil's advocate, some people might hear that and think, that's quite fickle. Oh, he's just setting up these businesses because he just wants to have money to go traveling and do what he wants. He's not that invested in these businesses. He doesn't care that much. They are a means to an end. I think you you said it at the start. It all comes back. Like I do not spend my time on something that I'm not passionate about or that I don't want to spend my time in. Because you said at the start, it was it doesn't feel like a day of work. And that's been the biggest thing for me. Like, you know, I've sat in front of a laptop for 14 hours with watch and ride. And I'll do it the day after, the day after, the day after. It doesn't feel like work. And that's the thing for me is if I'm passionate about it, I will go balls to the wall to make that happen. And for me, it's there always has to be a why. Like that's my thing with businesses. Why am I doing this? Who's it benefiting? Like fair enough, it might benefit me financially, but there has to be a greater a greater good in the world or it has to benefit someone else apart from me, for sure. Nice. So balancing it all, you guys want job that gives you like freedom internally in your life. Like how is focusing your time and everything? I mean, I guess it's quite easy for you. You said your main focus is business. So you know that. So you don't feel like you're missing out on socializing. Mm. You've already said kids aren't a priority. Your family are over in Scotland. So funny, Rose. So I guess when I was first building Watch and Ride, a couple years into it, Shelby said to me, she was like, you don't have any friends anymore. Like you don't go out, you don't have friends. And for me, my priority was making Watch and Ride successful and spending time with Shelby and the dog. That for me was how I wanted to spend my time. And you have to have sacrifice, sacrifice not suffering to be successful. And the thing that I changed my mindset to was I get to do this. I don't have to do this. For me, it's just one of these things that it's just this weird drive in me that makes me get up in the morning and, and do these things and spend the time on it. I have the vision of where I wanted to go and who I want to help. And that that's just the, the fire that keeps me going. Nice. Sacrifice, not suffering. I like yeah, it. for sure. And, you know, with that, like, I never thought, like, I'm missing out on something. Like, you know, even I had buddies that were like, 
you know, we're at the pub, we're doing this, we're doing that. And for me, it was just like, oh no, I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm, I'm going to be at home tonight. And it never felt like something that I was butthurt about. It was just like, I was just so focused on making it something of benefit to people. Well, one of the main interesting things is you look at the way things are, you know, lad culture, this and that. Things I feel like we got out of our system pretty early on. We did a lot of booze when we were younger. Yeah. <laughs> you can barely do it now. It's too traumatic. Yeah. yeah. So I was like to end with kind of a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. I know I asked you what your main takeaways from trying to set up a business were. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like people who are listening may have got an idea of your views on life, but... If you could narrow it down to like one thing you've learned in the last 30 years, what's like the biggest lesson you wish you could pass on to other people? You love teaching. What would you teach people? I I think I said it earlier. Watch your thoughts, feel your emotions, observe the reaction. And the big thing with that is creating discipline in your life. And sometimes it's doing the things that you maybe don't want to do, but you get to do you're we had a great talk about discipline this morning mm. so i actually want to hone in on that a wee bit more can you talk about your views and discipline what people are lacking the big thing i think about with discipline the easy way to get those quick wins is exercise no matter what shape you're in if you get your ass up and work out walk run that's an easy way to quickly move the needle and the big thing for me is my health like if you don't have your health or you don't have a relationship with your body, you've got fuck all. Like your body's your vehicle that carries you through life. If you're overweight or you're unhappy with yourself or you feel sluggish, like look at those things and look at the habits that you have that have got you to that point in your life and start to think, how can I create new habits to help my vehicle be something that's effective and efficient to help me run a business, do my job, run my side hustle. Because if you don't have control and a good relationship with this, you can't really go that far. Or you end up burning out, having a heart attack. You know, it's it all starts with the relationship with yourself. Yeah. And I think that was the thing with me of, you know, when Shelby thought I was getting reclusive or didn't have friends it was like I needed to spend time going inside to find out who I am and what I want because with if you're always have external distractions you never really ask yourself those questions or find those things out of what makes me tick and what makes me happy and I only really think once you start to ask yourself those questions and dive deep in here that you really start to move forward. Nice. I love it. The last question. Biggest regret. Not having enough belief in myself when I first started watching Ride. You know, I saw other businesses that had an idea and went out and raised money on it. And they've got a lot further than I have in shorter time. Whereas for me, I was like, I want to like, you know, build some traction first of all and like prove this is a thing that, you know, people actually want to learn with. And, you know, it was, I had an element of self-doubt in there. Mm. And as I've got older, it's building that belief in yourself to just dive in two-footed. You know, if I hadn't self-funded Watch and Ride and I maybe gone out and raised money at the start, 
you know, I'd be a lot, probably a lot further ahead than I was now, for sure. Mm. And it was just that self-doubt or what are people going to think of this? Are people going to judge my teaching? Are they going to judge my videos? What are they going to think about what I'm saying? What are they going to think about what I'm wearing? And as I've got older, it's just dropping all those things and not giving a fuck about what anyone else thinks. And it's about the impact I want to have on the world and the benefit I want to deliver to people. Love it. Fraz, thank you for coming on, man. Pleasure, man. Great. Thank you so much. Guys, that was it. Please, it would be incredible to hear your thoughts. Please follow the Instagram page. It's at 30-something interviews. Drop me a message. Let me know how you found that. It helps me direct where the conversations go in the future. If you manage to learn something, let me know. If you feel like things could have been tweaked, it would be great to hear that too. All the video content, all the best snippets, in my opinion, from the interviews go up on the page and it's best for just interacting with people. And like I said in the intro, if you've made it this far, sorry to repeat myself, please subscribe, please leave a review and we will back next week with an extra special guest who I can't wait for you to hear. Thanks for listening.